Man, it's good to see you. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor. It is so good that you're here with us. You're always invited. Anything we have going on, two weeks from the day, it's Easter, man. That's when everybody comes to church on Easter, right? And this service will be packed. 11 o'clock service will be packed. So here's the deal. We're having a 12:15 service. So if you want to come to a service a little less crowded, you don't have to do all the things with the kids, the Easter eggs, and you don't have big lunch plans. Just come on to you know, the 12:15 service. Maybe I'll just go out to eat afterwards, and I'll pick up the tab somewhere over Head over to Whataburger and get us something to eat for Easter Sunday. Or just come to that service. It'll be, it'll be fantastic. Uh, we'd love to have you there. Here's the thing. Uh, in our life, the primary thing we do, the most important thing we ever do is give our life to Jesus. Once we give our life to Jesus, Christianity boils down to two simple things. It's really all it is to it. We honor God in everything we do. And we help reach people for Jesus. That's what we do. And that's what it's all about. Last week, we ended a series called Backroads. And I talked about honoring God. Today we begin a new series. It's called The Call. It's the fact that all of us are called by Jesus. We're called to be saved. We're called to live the Christian life. And so we're going to look at the call. And, and what we're going to do today, you know, in light of, you know, the fact that we're going to have, you know, a big thing tonight at 530. I hope you all, all come for that mission experience. And a lot of that. What we're going to do is, is we're going to focus, as we start the call, on one of the most basic passages of all. Now, if, if you grew up in church, especially a Baptist church, you know all about this. Uh, if, even if you didn't grow up in church, even if church was not your thing, you probably have heard of this thing called the Great Commission, or you may have heard of this thing called the Great Commission. That's really what we're going to talk about today. It's in Matthew chapter uh, 28, verse 16 through 20, and we're going to talk about the call to go, because Jesus calls us to go. So here's what he says right here, or it says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so here's the thing today. As we start this series on the call that I want you to get from the message, it's very simple. We are called and we are commissioned by Jesus to bring people to Jesus so they might become his followers. It's that simple. We are called by Jesus. We are commissioned by Jesus to bring people to Jesus so that for the purpose that they might become his followers. And so today I'm going to share three things with you from this passage. And the first thing I want you to see is that we have the authority of Jesus that empowers us. We have the authority of Jesus that empowers us. Now, Matthew 28 deals with the resurrection of Christ and and some of his appearances. Uh, You need all four Gospels and Acts, you know, some of the things Paul wrote about, especially to understand what happened after the resurrection of Jesus before his ascension. We don't know everything there is to know, but we know a little bit. A little bit was revealed to us. A lot of the things we see in Jesus' life in terms of just what was recorded happens in around Jerusalem. He died in Jerusalem. He was resurrected in Jerusalem. He's going to be ascending outside Jerusalem. But most of his ministry took place in Galilee. He was from Galilee. All these disciples but Judas were from Galilee. Most of his followers were from Galilee. And so it says to them, in Matthew 28 a little earlier, tell the disciples to go wait for me in Galilee. That's their home. And so the 11 guys went, the 11 disciples. Now, probably other people went too. They got to Galilee. Everybody knew, heard about Jesus being resurrected. Everybody's excited. They were coming around. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says there was a time when Jesus appeared to more than 500 followers at one time. This was probably about that time. But here it focuses on the 11. And Jesus says this to these guys. He says, all authority has been given to me. Now, the word authority is critical. It has the idea of power. 
There's two fundamental words in the New Testament that deal with power. One of them, by the way, is found in Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 is important. It's a companion piece to this. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, The power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and all the rest of the earth. We sometimes, you know, I've heard a lot of messages on that. I even had someone from one of the denominational offices send me something today saying, well, in a lot of Acts 1-8, we need to make sure that we're having missions at home, in the state, nationally and internationally. It's this idea that it dictates that. This passage in Acts 1-8 isn't about local missions, home missions, you know, state missions, home missions, and national missions. It's about the blueprint of the early church. Jesus says, you're going to get the Holy Spirit. You're going to start in Jerusalem, and you guys are going to begin spreading out and out and out until you get to the whole world. When the book of Acts ends, they are throughout the Roman world. That's the whole purpose of Acts, to show us the spreading of the gospel. Jesus says you're going to have a power to do that. That word power is the word dunamis. It's a raw ability. There's a bunch of old rocks out there, and if you were to touch someone and move one of those three, 400-pound rocks, and they could just pick that up and move it, that person, you would say, had raw power. They just had power. That's what this word is. It's just Power. It is the power of the Holy Spirit, just raw ability. We have a raw ability of power from the Holy Spirit upon us to go be witnesses. That's what we're to do. Now, here in Matthew 28, the word authority, sometimes translated power, is akousia. It means a natural ability derived from who the person is. In other words, the idea of having freedom and the freedom to make decisions only you can make and that the decision-making is normal or is expected, that it makes sense, is something that's derived from them. So God has a given authority, power, that no one else has. It's the freedom he possesses to decide what he wants to decide. Now, Jesus says all that authority under heaven and earth, all of it, has been given to me. Now, we might say, I thought Jesus might already have some authority. He is God in the flesh, and he is. I mean, Jesus has always been... John says, in the beginning was the Word, that is Jesus. He was with God and he was God. He's always always been God, so he's always had authority. But when Jesus became man at the incarnation, we celebrate at Christmas. When he became human being, flesh, he decided when he did that not to exercise all the rights and privileges he had as God so he could become man. In order to become man, he couldn't do all the things God did. Now, he always had all the things that God could do. It always was his power and ability. He chose to put them aside. And so part of what he put aside was the absolute authority that he had. He had some authority. We know he had more authority than anybody else. We know that. In Matthew 7, at the end of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the, the Matthew 5, 6, and 7, when Jesus tells us all we need to know about what it means to be his follower, it says the people were amazed. Why? Because he taught us one who had authority, not as their religious leaders. He had an authority no one else had. In Matthew 10, he sends out the apostles, and he gives them limited authority. Matthew 16, he gives the apostles the keys to the kingdom, and giving the keys to the kingdom is to give them the authority. Jesus says, I now have all authority at the resurrection of Christ when he did all that God had asked him to do, the Father had asked him to do. God the Son then had all his authority. And he said, I'm sending you guys out, he says, with authority. Think about it. We have the authority of Christ. We don't go on our own. People do stuff on their own all the time. People make up stuff about Jesus all the time on their own without his authority. But to go comes from the absolute authority of Jesus Christ. And here's the cool thing. It is the authority of Jesus that gives us authenticity and power. It gives us a sense of authenticity and power. This week, I had to go to Dallas for some church business. And uh, I was on the plane. 
I turned around and I saw this guy getting on just like that. He was dressed just like that, sharp dressed, except he had a pair of cheap sunglasses on as well. And uh, about four of you got that because you're smart people. You know, you have a sophisticated sense of humor. Now, I didn't take that picture, obviously. But he looked just like that. And that guy right there, just like that. Here, raise your hand. You know who that is. God bless you. You're enlightened. That's Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top. One of the great rock groups of all time in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 1977, I turned 16. The day I turned 16, my granddaddy gave me his 1969 Plymouth Valiant. First thing I did with that Valiant is I went down and I got me an 8-trap tape deck. I took that 8-trap tape deck. I screwed that thing in the bottom of that uh, console. I ran some speakers in the back. I went and bought two tapes. I bought Aerosmith, Toys in the Attic. And I bought ZZ Top Tejas, and here is Tejas himself on my plane. And I'm saying, what do I do? I want to get his picture with me. I want to get it on. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I'm panicking. I don't know what to do. And so at one point, I get up, use the restroom. I walk up to the front, walk right past him. I come back and say, maybe I'll see something. He's asleep because he had a Bloody Mary. And his day, that Bloody Mary wiped him out. So maybe he's going to get off. When he got off the plane, he's kind of the flight attendants and the pilots are there and they get autographs. And I walk past the seat because he had the first seat. And there's this potato chip bag. And I'm thinking, I can take his potato chip bag. I'm going to get it. There may be even a chip or two in it. I could share chips with Billy Gibbons. I'll call it that. And I couldn't do it. I just couldn't go down and get it. And then I said, okay, well, he's giving autographs. Maybe, maybe uh, he'll give me an autograph, you know? I mean, he, he can do that. And I just panicked. The people behind me, I just walked out. And I didn't do anything. I wanted to turn back around and walk over there because I had legs and I knew how to use them to walk back. But I didn't do that. That was another joke that nobody got. But all those, all those flight people and the pilot, why, why, you know, I said, they're getting up. But here's the thing that was going through my mind. They can do it because they have authority. It's okay for them. I mean, they, they took his buddy Mary order. They bought him some chips. They flew the plane. They have, they have a certain power. They have a certain ability that's theirs. I'm just one of the passengers in the seat. And I couldn't do it. You know how many times you go through a life and we know people need Jesus, and we need to talk to people about Jesus, but we just don't feel like, I can't do it. I can't really tell them about Jesus. Who am I? I mean, I'm just a sinner. I mean, they probably sin less than I do. I do stuff worse than them. I can't tell them that we're at work, we're at school. I don't want to know what to do. And here's the thing. You can go ahead and tell them. You know why? Because you have the authority to do that. You have the authority that comes from Jesus. It's an amazing authority. The authority of Jesus is a power. It is a raw power you don't have, but the Holy Spirit has that power within you. He has the ability to do what you cannot do. And you have the authority because you have an authenticity. You're not talking about you. You're talking about Jesus, and that's real. And the great thing about the authority of Jesus is that's the only reason we can ever tell anyone anything about him. We can't do it on our own. In fact, here's the thing. Without the authority of Jesus... It would be hopeless to tell people about Jesus. All we would ever do is fail. When we can't do it on our own, we'll just fail all the time. But we won't fail because Jesus has an authority. With that authority, the second thing that I want you to see is that we have a command from Jesus that sends us. The Great Commission, as it's written in the original language, is all about verbs, man. Verbs matter. You have a command... 
You have three participles that modify the command that give them the force of the command. You have an infinitive that's related to the last participle that gives a secondary command. I mean, it's just all about commanding us to do things. So here's what it says. Make disciples. That's Jesus' command. You go make disciples. Make disciples. That's it. And the idea of a disciple is someone who is a learner. Actually, a disciple is a follower. You know, next week we're going to talk about Jesus saying, follow me. Followers of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. Christians follow Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. And following him, we learn from him. And in learning from him, we go share what we have learned. Being a learner is extremely important. Discipleship matters because we're sharing stuff that we learn about Jesus. In about 450 B.C., give or take, circa that area, there was a great Greek philosopher named Socrates. Socrates had an unbelievable student named Plato. Plato had this brilliant student disciple named Aristotle. And Aristotle taught this cat named Alexander. He was a prince. His daddy was named Philip, king of Macedonia. And when he died, Alexander took the throne. Alexander, before he was 33, conquered that part of the known world. We know him as Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great conquered all the stuff you see basically in the Bible, all those lands. He conquered Israel. And Alexander the Great, having been taught by Aristotle, who was taught by Plato, who was taught by Socrates, believed that Greek influence and culture was important, so he spread what we call the Hellenization, or the making Greek of all that part of the world, including Israel. About 300 years later, there's this guy born named Saul, his was Jewish, and he became a Pharisee, and he was unbelievably brilliant. But this unbelievably brilliant mind, who was purely Jewish, also understood all the Greek culture. And eventually Jesus saved his soul. And when he saved him, Paul became this unbelievable man, who was an absolutely brilliant Jewish scholar, who was just unbelievable in Greek culture, who was the greatest follower of Christ that ever lived, and he took the gospel of Jesus to all the Greek-speaking areas and provinces and country, and Christianity spread throughout the Greek world because of Paul, who was ultimately a learner of Jesus, got that, but who learned from other people who learned. You see... God, the way he works thing, it doesn't even matter. Some of it's pagan stuff is out there. I don't understand it. I, so I told you about some guys who are just pure pagans. Let me tell you, God does amazing things. And what God does is when we will sit at the feet of Jesus and learn about him, he will take all that we learn and he will help us with everything that we know, go out into the world and make disciples. He said, by the way, go to all the nations. The word nations means basically all the people groups. And and. Jesus is talking to Jews. So he's saying, you've got to go to all the Gentiles. Go to all the Gentiles. Tell them about me. So here you see, you see a micro and a macro expectation. On a micro level, we're to make disciples, individuals, one by one by one by one. That's the evangelism that we speak of as Christians. But on a macro level, we're going to go to all the nations. That's the mission movement that we speak of. We're to go to all these people groups that don't know nothing about Jesus. It's everything. Go to all of them. And then going to all of them, he tells us then three things that are going to be happening, that we're going to be doing. He's commanding us in essence. His first thing he says is you're going to people so they might become followers. You're going to them so they might be followers. Now, it, he's not saying go to this specific group. I'm pointing this out. He's just saying going through life, as you travel life, there's this command that we be sharing people about Jesus. So this past week, uh, I was in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. I was in Arlington. And on Tuesday, I had to get an Uber to my meeting. 
And if you don't know what an Uber is, it's you rent a car, you get a car, somebody gets a car, come picks you up. And I've never Ubered. I've been with someone who's Ubered. I've never Ubered. Now, the reason I was Ubering, I was supposed to be renting a car. But evidently, the great state of New Mexico, unlike the super great state of Texas, doesn't notify you when your driver's license expired. Now, you can drive with an expired license. You can't rent a car with an expired license. And if you're wondering, if some of you who are in law enforcement and you're getting ready, you know, the greet me on, as I get out of here, are you saying, you know, is, it, is, is his license up to date? Sort of. It's getting close. So here's the thing. I'll be there by the end of the week. Just hang on. Don't be giving me tickets for something you find out in church or I'll start talking about you and things you do in your life too. Man. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm vicious, man. I, I'm vengeful. Don't think I'm, I'm petty and small and vengeful when he comes to my driving. So here's the thing. I get in the car with this guy named Frank, the Uber driver, and Frank looks like Motley Crue all over. He looks like he needs Jesus, man. And so, Lord, I'm saying, you give me 40 minutes on this ride, knowing the traffic that we're here in Dallas, Fort Worth. I got 40 minutes somehow to start talking about Jesus. You know, and there's things I do to get there. And, and, and eventually, Frank and I start talking. I ask him some questions, you know, some different things. Find out Frank really is a Christian. He's unusual. He's Irish, going to a Spanish-speaking church that is Messianic in its nature. They're like a Messianic Jewish church. I'm like, Man, you're just weird, dude, all the way around the thing. He doesn't need Jesus. What he needs, to be honest, what he needs was a shower, a clean set of clothes. But here's the thing. Going through life, we just have to find the people that God puts in our way, and we go to them. And then what we end up doing, well, we're baptizing people who become followers. Now, baptizing is important because it's a symbolic act. Somebody has already given their life to Jesus. You baptize people not to save them or to wash away their sins. You baptize them because they are already done been saved. Some of you may have already become followers of Christ, and you've never been baptized by believer's baptism. When you were sprinkled as a child, that don't count. They just done got you wet, man. That's all that happened. So, you know, a week from this Thursday, we're having baptism in the Lord's Supper. If you're a follower of Christ and you've never been put under the water and brought back out, you need to do that. We're commanded for that to happen. Now, you baptize people who are followers of Jesus. There's the understanding that someone told them about Jesus. That's why you baptize people. We don't baptize you to save you. That doesn't work. So you look in the book of Acts, Acts 8. There's Philip going along in his life, just doing his thing. This Ethiopian guy comes up in a chariot. He's reading from Isaiah. He doesn't understand it. Philip says, you know what you're reading? He says, I got no clue. Philip says, I know what you got going on. The guy says, hop up in the chariot. Philip hops up in the chariot. Before you know it, that guy's come to Christ. And he says, can I be baptized? There's a pool of water. Philip says, yeah. He took the pool of water, put him in the pool, pulled him out of the pool. He was baptized. Acts 16, Peter's in, uh, Paul's in jail. Paul didn't want to go to jail. That wasn't on his to-do list that day. He's in jail. There's a jailer. Stuff happens. Paul leads the jailer to Jesus. Jailer says, come home. i got family. They need Christ. Paul goes to his house. The whole family gets saved. You know what Paul does? He baptizes them. Why? Because they become followers of Jesus. To be baptized people who become followers of Jesus. So there's the understanding that as we go, and we share Christ, people will come to Jesus, which leads us to the third thing then. We'll be teaching people who are followers. We teach them. You teach people before they're saved. You teach people after they're saved. Right now, we got over there in um, the Wamba room, we got little preschoolers. We're teaching them. We got uh, kids being taught in Upstreet. Right now, I think Barry's over at Burger King teaching youth. We'll be teaching some more youth, different youth, later on in the day probably. Wednesday night, we got Awana kids being taught. We come in here for Grow, we're taught. Uh, the other campus, they're going to Sunday school. They're being taught. Most of y'all on this campus probably go to a connect group or hopefully go to connect group. We're taught teaching matters. 
You teach people before they come to Jesus about Jesus so they'll come to Jesus and be saved. Once they come to be Jesus and be saved, you teach them after so they'll go tell other people about Jesus. We're just being taught. And when teaching, what we're supposed to do is teach them to obey Jesus. And what does Jesus tell us to do? Love God, love other people? What does Jesus tell us to do? Go make disciples. We teach people to go do what Jesus tells us to do. Go make disciples. That's what we do. It's not that complicated. In fact, here's the important. Churches and Christians come up with all these things we need to be doing. What do we need to be doing as a church? Now, I'm always hearing about churches coming up with new strategies for what they ought to be doing. What ought the church do? How does the church become authentic? How does the church become real? People come up with all sorts of crazy ideas. What is it that a Christian really needs to do? And I see things and hear things and read things all the time about what Christians need to do. Here's something you just need to understand. Jesus gave the disciples no other commandment after his resurrection but to go make more disciples. That's all he told them to do. It is the mission of all Christians in all churches, period, end of story. I don't care what you do in life as a Christian. I don't care what you do in life as a church. Ultimately, it all boils down to whether or not you're going to help people become fathers of Jesus. Now, there's a lot of great things. You can, there's a lot of great ministries, a lot of great things you can be involved in. There's good organizations. Fine, go do it. At the end of the day, you better be helping people come to Jesus. There are a lot of things that churches can do. Knock yourself out. A lot of good programs, a lot of good things we can do. Let's go do it. As long as we do it for one primary reason. Not to make us feel good. Not to pat ourselves on the back. Not to show the whole world, look how we are. The reason we do it is for one thing and only one thing only. To honor God so that people will come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we do. Because that's the only thing Christ ever told us to do. He didn't tell us to do anything else. After his resurrection. Which brings me to the third thing we need to realize. And it's simply this. We have the promise of Jesus that encourages us. We need encouragement. It's hard. I uh, started ministry in 1980. When I started ministry, the thing we were told to do and to get our people to do was go door to door. You go door to door, you knock on the door, you have your Bible, and somehow you get them to come, get a place where you can share Jesus with them. That never works, by the way. Rarely does it ever work, put it that way. It's never worked for me. I've never cold case knocked on someone's door and ever had a chance to share Jesus with anybody. Now, I'm trained and certified in numerous evangelism techniques and classes. I can train you in all sorts of things. I can train you in a bunch of things that will never work. We build relationships with people. In fact, here's an amazing statistic. Almost everyone who ever comes to Christ comes to Christ through someone they have a relationship with. Almost everyone. I don't know, what, I don't know the exact percentage of almost everyone, but it's more than most. They come to Jesus. Because of relationships. So he said this. Lo, which is a behold, a command. Another command actually is behold. I mean, pay attention. I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Uh, when they wrote um, the New Testament, they wrote in Greek. Probably, we always assume that all the stuff that you see in red, like a lot of this part of this passage is in red, we assume Jesus spoke in Greek. Jesus mostly spoke in Aramaic. They translated that into Greek. So when Matthew had to come translate the I part, he had, he, had to, he had to find a way to, to get across exactly what Jesus was saying. Now, he used this phrase, ego, I, me, I, I am. In, in uh, the Gospel of John, there's what we call seven I am statements of Jesus, where Jesus says I, and uh, I am. And uh, one of them is now, for instance, in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father by me, but by me. The I, I am is ego, I, me. It's emphatic, I and I alone. There's an emphatic inflection in that Greek term, ego, I mean, because you wouldn't normally write that. 
So here Matthew says, I, ego I me, I will always. In other words, it's I and only I, completely I. It's emphatic. I'm going to be with you always. Always is all the time. And it says to the end of the earth, the end of the ages, it says. And uh, the end of the ages, actually in the Greek, it means all days to all the ages. And that's awkward. We can't write that in English. To all days, all the ages. It means till the end of time. Until I come again, and you're out there sharing me with people, I'm with you. I'm with you every step of the way. Here's what Jesus is saying, really. Whenever and wherever we share Jesus, he's with us. He is. Now the, he manifests that through the Holy Spirit. He's with us. The power of the Holy Spirit. That's the manifestation of that. But Jesus is with us. I mean, it's good to know because I can't do this on my own. On the one hand, I have the authority of Jesus that's, that, that's out there. It gives me a power. But not only do I have that power of Jesus, I have this promise of Jesus that he is with me. And so it encourages me to go. So think about it. Jesus sends us, but he isn't just sending us. He's sending us with authority. He is sending us with a promise. And so if we have the authority of Jesus and we have this promise of Jesus, then if Jesus is with us when we talk about Jesus, then why don't we spend more time talking about Jesus? Think about it. Why don't we as a church spend more time talking to people and getting people to come to Jesus? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Well, yeah. Individually, shouldn't we do more of that? Well, yeah. Now, I know it's hard. It's, this is simple, but it's not always easy. So let me suggest three things to you that might help you. And this isn't going to pop up on the screen, so you'll just have to write it down if you write that stuff. If you write stuff down, I'll try to speak slowly and clearly or whatever. Here's the first thing, maybe. Identify people you know who need Jesus. That's not hard. Identify people you know who need Jesus. Parents, you got young children? Hey, they need Jesus. Trust me. Some of them need Jesus younger than you think. <laughs> they need Jesus, man. They're always going to need Jesus. When God gave you kids, he gave you people that need Jesus. Because everybody needs Jesus. You work with people that need Jesus. You went to school with people that need Jesus. I got a 40-year high school reunion coming up. There are people that need Jesus. I mean, we, I was, was in an Uber today. The other day, I thought that guy needed Jesus. You never know. Identify people who need Jesus. And the second thing is, find some time or some way to talk to them. Now, sometimes you only got a 40-minute car ride. You've got to do it quick if you're going to do it. You may have 40 years of a lifelong friendship. You may have a kid for 18 years or however many years. In some of their cases, it may be 25 years they'll be living in your house. Who knows? But you've got a limited amount of time. You've got a limited amount of time. Find the time. Take the time. And then do this. Talk to them about Jesus, or at the very least, invite them to church. If you just can't talk to them about Jesus, do this. Invite them to church, because I promise you we'll talk to them about Jesus. Talk to them about Jesus. Find a way. I mean, bring it up. I mean, you know, I, I know you say, well, I'm at work. I can't talk about Jesus. If, some, if you say, hey, how was your weekend? They said it was pretty good. I'm efficient. They're probably going to return the favor and say, how was your weekend? You'll say, great. I went to church to worship the Lord. It was fantastic. Went to a missions experience Sunday night. That was fantastic. It was a great time. He asked. You answered with Jesus. You can do all that stuff. Because here's the thing. People need Jesus. Right? I mean, they do. We believe that, don't we? I mean, I'm a father of Christ. They need Jesus. And he's given me authority. And he's given a promise. And then he's given me this command to go. So let's go tell people about Jesus. Let's get them to Jesus. 
as fast as we can. I say that all the time, don't I? Get people to Jesus as fast as you can. Why? Because I can't change their life. You can't change their life, but Jesus can. Only Jesus can change a person's life. So let's get people to Jesus as fast as we can. And let Jesus change their life forever. This past week, I came across a lot of people, and at some point in their life, all of them needed Jesus. Maybe at the moment I met them, and there was Billy Gibbons. Pretty sure he needs Jesus. I was in the airport the next day. Emmett Smith walks by. Emmett Smith's walking this way, I'm walking that way. We look at each other and say, hey, fist bump, couple of old gray beard jocks just saying, hey, I wish. I looked at him, and he just kept walking. Like, man, I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> I'm like, ew, boy, boy, my flight's in another 45 minutes. I mean, you know, it's kind of like that. I know he's the father of Christ, but at some point in his life he needed Jesus. Frank, the Uber driver, took a look at him, thought, man, you need Jesus. Turns out he has Jesus. Sandy at the front desk, she needs Jesus. This morning, I went to do my usual routine. Went and got me a little bit of breakfast, making relationships with those folks. I know they need Jesus. And the only time I go in there dressed nice, Sunday morning, man, I got because I'm going to Miranda Cap. It's got a sport coat on it, nice pair of slacks. You know, I'm looking sharp in my, in my suit and all that stuff. They all know I'm the pastor of First Baptist Church, so I'm just trying to build a relationship. It's just what I know. They all need Jesus, man. People need Jesus every single day of your life. You meet people who need Jesus. We go to them, and we've got to find a way to help them meet Jesus. So let me ask you this question. If you're a follower of Christ, are you going, making disciples, sharing so they might be baptized, and teaching people about Jesus? If not, why not? Shouldn't you be doing that? That's the one thing you're supposed to do. Maybe today you need to say, God, I'm not doing a very good job of that. So today, I promise you, God, help me find a few people and somehow, some way, I'll go share with Jesus. You don't have to pick 20. Just pick one. Just pick one. And make a commitment that you'll go help make a disciple of that person. Some of you need to actually follow Jesus because you never trusted Jesus as your Savior. So today I'm going to say you need to give your life to Christ so that you may become his follower. Would you do that? Maybe right now where you are to say, Lord, I'm going to give my life to you because I need Jesus. You want to come up? There'll be some of us up here standing. You want to come talk to one of us? I need to give my life to Jesus. Come on. We'll talk to you about it. Some of you have already done it, but you've never been baptized. Now, baptism doesn't save you. I know that. It doesn't wash away your sins. It just gets you wet. But it tells people, I'm a follower of Jesus. It's an act of obedience. Jesus said, teach them to obey. And part of obeying is to be baptized. And if you've never received believer's baptism, we're doing that in a week and a half on a Thursday night. Why don't you say, hey, I want to be baptized? Because I've never been believe, had believer's baptism. You can come tell us this. You can call us this week, email us, whatever you want to do. Are you teaching people? Are you being taught? Because if you're not being taught, listen, here's what I know. I try to find ways to be taught all the time because I realize I don't know near as much about Jesus as I should. And I promise you this, if I don't know all there is to know about Jesus, I guarantee you none of you do either. Because the truth of the matter is, I probably do know more than you. I'm just being honest. And if I need to be taught, you need to be taught as well. Where are you being taught about Christ? And ultimately, at the end of the day, in your life every day, do you obey Jesus? Because if you don't obey Jesus, you need to ask him to forgive you of your sin. And you just say, Lord, I need to start obeying you. I don't know what you have to do today. All I know is this. In this beautiful passage, we have the call of Christ. It is the call to go. And it is the call for us to obey. Father, we thank you for what we have. 
for the life we have, for the people we know, for the opportunities that present us more than anything else. We just thank you for Jesus Christ. And if he is the Lord of our lives, we praise you that he has saved us. And some father cannot claim that Jesus is the Lord of their lives. So I ask in his name, through the power that comes only through the Holy Spirit, that right now they would trust you to be their Savior through faith in Jesus. And they would give their life to Christ. Let them do that. For those of us that are followers, Father, let us commit to going, to the call to go, to the call to go to that one person that we know, and to share with them the beauty of Christ. Let us make the commitments we need to make. Father, let us do it individually, and let us do it as a church. As a church, let us just give ourselves over to going. For, Lord, at the end of the day, no matter what else we do, if we don't go, we don't obey. And we need to obey. So, Father, help us to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We'll be here at the front, and we'll greet you.